You're listening to The Outspoken Bible, a podcast from Bible 2020 with Fiona Stewart, Jen Robertson and Neil Glover. Hello and welcome to The Outspoken Bible. My name's Fiona Stewart and once again I'm joined by Jen Robertson. Hello Jen. Hi Fiona. And Neil Glover. Hello Neil. Hello Fiona. Nice to see you. It's lovely to see you and I can actually see the two of you today which is just an absolute delight. Now, we are thinking about power in weakness this time. So we've been reading um, a succession of verses. Before we turn to look at the the verses that come up in Bible 2020, it'd be good just to have a chat about perhaps some resources that might be helpful to people either at the moment or uh, resources that will help us engage a wee bit with these verses. So, Jen, do you want to start by telling us a little bit about the bags of power? Bags of power sounds great. It is great. So we've taken the themes for over the summer from Bible 2020, uh, um, power and strength, hope and weakness, and the book of Ruth, which is love. And we've turned them into cards, activity cards that churches can order from us. And they use the cards over a five-day period to create bags or boxes or some kind of receptacle um, to give out to families in their community. So they've got the card with one of the verses, some of the which we'll be talking about today, um, and activities for families to do. And then we've created online programs that churches can also use. Uh, so you can get the families together on Zoom or other kind of platforms and talk a bit more about these bits of the Bible. So one of the things you can order is bags of power. So, Jen, how do people get hold of those? Do they need to send you a letter or is there a more digitally efficient way of doing that? Well, you can send me a letter if you want, but much better to go to our website, www.scottish.bible forward slash bags of discovery. You'll find all the information you need there. Excellent. That sounds really exciting. That sounds very good. Now, Neil, you were talking to me earlier, and I always love talking about other things that I've done, but you were talking about one of the podcasts that you've been listening to, uh, the Outspoken Conversations podcast, and we were just chatting about how that helps us think about this idea of power and weakness. Yeah. Um, our, is, it, is, this the same, is it the same podcast as us, or is that a cousin podcast? How, how is it being branded? Oh, yeah. I think, yeah, we're calling it a different title, but it's got the same picture, so... Yeah, it appears in the same. I, I think of it as um, our um, our glamorous cousin uh, that uh, that you and Alistair both uh, chair when you uh, me and Jen just get to listen in. Um, yeah, I'd listened to your interview with Tara this morning, and I've had a I had a really profound day thinking about the Bible because I'm going to be recording my sermon for this week on Genesis 22 with the story of Abraham and Isaac and the sacrifice which for me is one of the most disturbing powerful it is the 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 madras curry of bible stories it's just so potent um and I've been thinking a lot about the bible and how the bible works and the imagination it captures anyway I was thinking about all those things as I was listening to your interview with with Tara about about slavery and about the role that the church had played in slavery and I think I would like us at some point in this podcast to spend some time thinking about how the Bible is read. What, what, are the, what are the ways that we begin to interpret the Bible? Because I think it's more complicated than some things we allow. And the thing that brought that home to me was the story that Tara told of the Baptist ministers who um, had gone out to Jamaica and through watching what happened to slaves in Jamaica had become convinced that slavery was against the will of God. Mm. And what I find really interesting about that was it wasn't through a better understanding of the Greek or the Hebrew verbs Mm -hmm. or the context or so on. It was the fact that they went to Jamaica 
So they, they were bringing Jamaican experience into conversation with what they'd seen. So that's yeah. the first thing. We read the Bible in response to what we see or alongside what we see and that the two interpret the other the idea that you just read the text as well as you possibly can then off you go into reality as a kind of one-way process just doesn't fit mm. so i want to have a more conversation about that but the more problematic conversation that we need to have because you have very rightly been pushing on racism and um, issues of power related to that in mm-hmm. several of your interviews is we have to examine why the bible was used to dismantle slavery or help dismantle it but we also need to look at how the bible was used to support slavery mm-hmm. and one of the arguments that was used for example by the confederacy in the in the american civil war was the reason that we fight for the right to slaves is in order to defend the authority of the bible so mm-hmm. i one of the things that's prompting me is i would like us to dig a bit more into how we read the text because i think that's really really important that's really interesting. I'm reading uh, We Need to Talk About Race at the moment by Ben Chapman. Is it Chapman? Um, and yeah, I was really struck by something I was reading this morning about that, actually, about, about how the Bible is, is, is misused or has been misused. And how so, we do- yeah, so how we did. So the, Tara told the story. It's a brilliant story of this Baptist missionary coming back from Jamaica, speaking at this big convention of the Baptist Assembly and speaking for quite some length of time about how evil slavery was. And whilst that missionary was speaking, one of the kind of high platform party people was tugging, literally tugging at their jacket, trying to get them to stop. And we need to talk about the fact that that person was also reading the Bible. Yeah. And yeah. that's why they were wanting to, to, to stop that talk as well. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, I should clarify as well. It's Ben Lindsay. We need to talk about racism. It's by Ben Lindsay. Um, so just running off our, our first section here, in terms of books that can help us think about this idea of weakness and power and how the, the Christian life is, is lived out uh, with, that, with that dynamic, uh, you had a recommendation, I think, Neil? Yeah, well, I think there's, there's two. Uh, the first is only Neil's classic text, which is The Wounded Healer about how, how God moves almost inexplicably through, through our weakness. And there is, there, is some, there is a strength in the Christian experience of people mm. who somehow allow God to flow through them. Um, I think maybe he wouldn't like me using this as an illustration, but someone who's recently retired he, from the kind of Christian leadership world in Scotland is Andy Bathgate. And Andy, for me, always carries himself with a kind of gentle so andy headed up scripture union i should say he is not a bombastic leader mm-hmm. he was someone whose power seemed to throw flow mm-hmm. through his gentleness mm-hmm. and through some of the the pain of his own life and i, I think that's something very powerful uh, that's mm-hmm. there also in terms of resources um austin channing brown's book called i'm still here black dignity in a world made for whiteness is compelling viewing and or reading sorry and it talks a lot about her experience of being a black person in predominantly white churches great great lots to be to be reading i think with with that subject as a as a whole and obviously we'll put links to um, those in the show notes i lift up my eyes to the mountains where does my help come from my help comes from the lord the maker of heaven and earth he will not let your foot slip he will watch us over you and you will not slumber. Indeed, he who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord watches over you. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun will not harm you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all the harm. He will watch over your life. 
the lord will watch over your life coming and going both now and forevermore amen Let's move on to our uh, main conversation of the day. So we've been reading in our Bible 2020 readings uh, about power and weakness. And one of the things that struck me about all of this was that there were a lot of, for me, quite familiar verses. So there maybe were verses that I've learned or I've taught young people at camp as memory verses. They're kind of proof texts for things. Um, so there's a lot, of, a lot of these verses that, that have a familiarity in there. So why do you think that is? Why is it that when we come to talk about weakness and power, there are verses that we hold on to and cling to and, and learn and repeat to ourselves. Because we're weak, probably. <laughs> we're very aware of that in our lives, aren't we? That, and so these are verses we desperately need to hear. Um, and, and, and reading these with Psalm 121, you know, the first couple of verses just sort of resonate as words I've heard for a huge part of my life. But I love to read further on into that Psalm because the more you read, and that's an important part about reading, the, the biblical text is that we don't just pluck out the verses that uh, help us in our weakness, but read round about it. That can be so insightful. So for me, reading a chance to read Psalm 121, but to read all of it, because the stuff about having a God who doesn't sleep has, has meant a lot for me in my life over the years. Mm-hmm. And do you think there's a particular resonance for some of these things at the moment? Yeah, I, mean, I would say I was very fearful at the start of lockdown. Um, I'm quite, I think I've said this before, I'm quite fearful, do worry about quite a lot of stuff. And I, I love this idea of God's not sleeping. And I remember as a child going to bed and um, that the, the hubbub of the noise of family downstairs as a child was so reassuring to me, you know, there's adults about, there's parents who care for me um, and I can just go to sleep and I'll wake up and I'll deal with tomorrow. But then you become an adult and you become the person who's switched out all the lights um, locked up the doors and is responsible for caring for everybody in the house so for me to know that um the lord is your keeper the lord is your shade on your right hand he doesn't slumber um, you know he won't, he won't go for a power nap and kind of forget about you um mm. is hugely important to know a, a perfect parent who's always there whatever's going on right about and, and maybe that's why, I mean, I, I refer to them kind of jocularly as memory verses, but maybe that is why it's important that we, we embed these verses mm. into our very mm-hmm. being, isn't it? Because there's something about doing that that, that then transforms our, our actions and our thought patterns. I think that's, that's right. And these verses, uh, they, they dip down and they lift up, but they lift up the life of the mind. We, we had an experience where we were planning to record this last week and the... I had originally done my preparation last week after a a really difficult meeting. I didn't know the meeting was going to be really difficult, but it turned out to be really, really painful. Uh, We were dealing with some really hard stuff about which I feel quite invested and it hadn't gone particularly well. I was really, really down. And then I read all these verses and something about my, my mind, my thinking was changed. And, and then somebody texted I think and said oh I can't make it tomorrow uh, which is usually me that sends that no, text so quite, it was those generals, like, yeah, it was, I was quite relieved Jen because it's normally me who has to go oh I'm really sorry I've made a mess um, but I was conscious how these verses change your mind and one of the the things I've become quite interested in probably in the last five or six years is how the, the one of the, the jobs of the bible is to change the way that we think and that is such a powerful thing um, the the whole movement in psychology of cognitive behavioral therapy is one in which uh, we address our emotions not by directly addressing our emotions but 
by addressing our thinking. Another way of putting it is that it's, or as they say in the recovery movement, our stinking thinking sometimes affects the, the way that we think. So um, they, one, of the, one of the kind of fathers of modern cognitive psychology is a guy called Albert Ellis, who wrote a book called How to Stubbornly Refuse to Make Yourself Miserable. And it was all about dealing with the, the ways that we, we think which are unhelpful. Uh, so he said, in order to um, make yourself miserable, you need to tell yourself you need to be perfect. You need to tell think yourself that things turn out all right. Uh, you need to tell yourself that people should behave the way you think they ought to behave. These are uh, the beliefs, he said. Uh, other people have talked about black and white thinking, that if it's all really bad or all really good, that can be a quite a destructive way of thinking. But what's interesting for me as we read these verses is that it gets dismantled. So, for example, these verses are quite complex. Uh, there's a whole range of emotions. Some things are right next to each other in verses, where at one point it's been going well, another point it's, it's going difficult. But it's, it's mixed together. It's as life is a mixture. That's a very healthy way of thinking. Uh, they're also very realistic. Life does not turn out the way that I expect it to be. But all the way through in this reality, these verses call us back to think on God. And I think that's a profoundly healthy way of our minds thinking well in order that our whole being lives well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's interesting because I, I was thinking about Ephesians 6, the verses we read there, the, the armour of God um, verses, which I know, Jen, you want to come in on because, because you find those quite controversial. But one of the things I, I was appreciating about them is you know, I've read of a number of people who would, who would read those verses every day. And, they would, and, I, and I've done that over seasons in my life as well. I've, I've kind of got to the point where I thought I'm going to pray on that armour um, each day because I kind of feel I need it. Yeah, the, I, 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 pray that, I pray those verses most days. So, Jen, I know with Ephesians 6, you were, you were saying before you struggle a bit with the imagery of that. Yes, it's a whole militaristic nature of it. I suppose a lot of my thinking also comes from bad children's ministry in the past where you've been made to march about and get your sword out and also seems a bit aggressive. But when I actually read it, and as I read it as a metaphor, they're nearly all protective. Uh, you know, the, the helmet to protect your head and the breastplate for your heart. Um, but I think it's important to say that that's how I feel when I read it, because I, I don't think we're always very honest about that when we come to the Bible. You know, I'd like to kick out some of the militaristic stuff because it's not something I connect to. So I need to get over that and understand what God's saying to me. And it's interesting that both of you use that daily. I would just try and avoid it, really, maybe. <laughs> I, think, I, think, um, I think for me, it's, it's, I, I agree with the point you make about you know, militarism. Um, and I think I take heart from the fact that the early church completely hated violence so one of the mm. few absolutes in some parts of the early church was that you weren't allowed to be a member of the, mm-hmm. the roman army um for and th- this was written by someone who was on the receiving end of some of yeah, the absolutely weapons. yeah so it's about a subversion it's about saying well you might have a metal shield but i have the shield mm. of faith my yeah. weapons are different um you might have a, a sword that you can kill people but my sword is the mm. word of god and um, the one i often well, I like them all, actually, but uh, mm-hmm. I often go to the, the helmet of salvation, which mm-hmm. once again ties in with this idea of thinking. You know, you might have a metal helmet in your head, but my helmet is the way I mm-hmm. think in, in touch with God's thinking. And you're right, this language could be adopted to kind of um, a promote a more muscular form of Christianity. There was such a thing as muscular Christianity, which was closely tied to the British Empire. Um, but uh, it could also be used to subvert weaponry and, and say we life will have conflict so there's a mission of that 
but in terms of negotiating that conflict and coming through that conflict, I'm going to use a different form of weaponry. I think one of the things that, that really has struck me is, as I was reading through is the use of metaphor generally, though. So, so yeah. there's also something, isn't there, in that Ephesians passage that that would have been a very familiar picture for people. Yeah. So whether or not you, you, yeah. you're saying that you're going with this militaristic um, approach, you're, you're kind of saying, look at what's around you. See the armour that the Romans have got. Well, the armour God offers is so much better. And there's so much metaphor, isn't there? There's so, there's, there are eagles, there are mountains. Well, it's, it's all, as you say, Fiona, it's all the, the common things that would have been around for the person who was writing these parts of the Bible. And for us, it's to take that and in the context we find ourselves in, what, what, is it, what is God saying to us through it? I just love the image of the eagle. I'm, I'm not an expert on eagles at all. I do watch a wee bit of um, autumn watch and spring watch <laughs> as I'm becoming older and <clears throat> got lots of birds in the garden. We've even had a sparrow hawk, which was a bit scary because they just wanted to eat all the sparrows. But, you know, we, we can find things out so easily now. So just to watch some of the fantastic BBC nature programmes about eagles. So I was watching this one of a baby eagle who was enormous. It didn't look much like a baby at all. And it was, it, he or she was waiting to take its first flight. And the commentator said, um, it's just waiting for the wind to hit it. And I thought this picture that we get in, the, in Isaiah, um, it is Isaiah, isn't it? Um, you know what? They shall rise up and wait yeah. like eagles. So th this eagle just launched itself off and it was soaring around for about an hour. The fact they were getting a bit concerned about it because it was quite young and it, need it needed to land. So there's a, there's a risk from the eagle. It has to take that step. So for us, you know, we, have to, we have to throw ourselves into God's hands, but he will lift us up. He, he will be there for us. And actually, once you're soaring, there's not much you need to do. You just need to keep, keep going with God, which I thought tied back to our spirit conversation. In the, in the last podcast that we recorded, we were talking about waves, I think, rather than wind. But it's a very similar metaphor. Mm -hmm. I always associate these verses with Chariots of Fire. Of course. Yeah. In the film Chariots of Fire, when, when he's yeah. about to run the 400 metres, he's, he's handed, or the 400 yards, is it? He's handed um, <laughs> those verses on the, the piece of paper. And I, I, I'm yeah. assuming that's true in the film version, but it's very powerful. So is it not, God says, I will honour those who honour me? That that's a different bit. No, that, yeah. But, but the, I think the verses that are written, oh, see, now, now you're making me doubt We need to do some Chariots of Fire fact-checking. I know, I need to watch it. I, I think it's on the piece Does he not pre... I think, no, I think the bit of paper is the, the thing about um, he who honours me, I will honour. But he preaches early on in the film. So there's, a, there's a, not a moment when it's... Um, um. He's preaching in a church and they've got footage of him running, but it's him talking from Isaiah. I, I think that's what it is. I, yeah, no. might just cut that whole section out, by the way. So, <laughs> no, I, 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 I like preserving the, the, the interpretive process. I don't like if you're a runner, not. if you're a runner at all, thinking about those words as you run is amazing. Well, that's it. Oh, yeah. That's it. And, so, it's, and it is that idea of of running and feeling its pleasure, which is the which is another quote from that film. Which is the when yeah. everyone is feeling. Says so that to his sister. Yeah, and that connects with, with that old whole idea it's of the wings Jenny, as well. I think, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> So, so the eagle's wings, so the, 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 you get a lot of birds of prey around here where we are in Aberfeldy. Um, and I'm always desperate to see an eagle, um, but most of the time it's a buzzard. So, I mean, buzzards are pretty great as well, I quite like buzzards. And there's quite a lot of red kites as well around here. Uh, and they are fantastic. But um, once I was running with some friends up Glen Quake, uh, which is a glen, a quite a remote glen over the back of here. And uh, out on the, the water, we saw a shape like no other, just this huge, huge 
thing above the water. And immediately you go, oh, it's a buzzard. You're just getting your hopes up. But it was massive. This huge, huge, and it had an eagle and it had a white tip. So it was a sea eagle. So it was the largest eagle. And the, and the way you could totally tell it wasn't a buzzard because the wings had this double fold in them. They were huge, mm. absolutely enormous wings. And I love that this verse says, you're going to get wings, but you're not just going to get any old wings. Mm-hmm. It's not yeah. just going to be chaffinch wings, which are very, very fine, or sparrow wings. You're going to get eagle's wings. Yeah. Uh, and those wings are just brilliant. And the, the other thing in this program about the eagle's, it talks about as the baby eagle took its first flight, how its perspective on the world changed forever. You know, once it saw the locks and the hills that it had never seen. Mm. And not until we take that step with God can our perspective change. Oh, that's good. That's really Maybe it ties in with cognitive behaviour therapy. Yeah, it does. And it kind of links into what we're going to move on to next because it, I, I think one of the things, again, that's quite consistent in these verses is this idea of the people of God really being pretty weak and ineffectual. Mm. So you get the likes of Gideon, who's hiding in the wine press and you get somebody like Joshua who it has to be told again and again, be bold and courageous, be bold and courageous. And, and you sense that, again, this is the kind of dramatist in me. I'm thinking, why, do, why does God have to keep saying that to him? Is it because he's not bold and courageous? Probably. Yeah, yeah. That's what's going on in that dialogue. You, you don't tell someone who's already brave that they need to be brave. No, absolutely. Absolutely. It's the whole thing of when you see an angel, they always say, do not fear, because everybody fears yeah. when they see an angel. Yeah. And so, yeah, so, so is there something there for us in, in, in thinking about those, those characters and how God used them? how God's power is seen at work in weakness. I think there's a conviction in all these verses that when we engage with these verses, we will be changed as a result of that engagement, given courage that the power comes through us, that we become more sensitive to the move of God. I think the danger could be thinking, well, I'm not a very brave person, so I'm not going to read this verse because it doesn't apply to me and it'll make me feel even worse. I think what they're saying is read it, and we are changed. And the honesty that, like, particularly Gideon mm. shows to God, I love that, he, you know, he says, you know, you used to do all these miracles, God, and all these great things used to happen, and they're not happening anymore. And he, and he keeps pushing it with God. Yeah. Um, whereas sometimes, you know, I feel, well, I'll just have to accept things, that's the way it should be, rather than, you know, that wrestling, which is so much part of the Bible, isn't it? People wrestling with God, whether physically or in conversation. God, God wants us to do that. That's the relationship he wants with us. Psalm 125, a song of ascents. Those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion, which cannot be shaken, endures forever. As the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds his people, both now and forevermore. So we've, we've looked there at characters, but also within the verses that we've read, we, we, we have these Psalms, don't we? We have, we have bits that are drawn from the Psalms of Ascent. So Psalm 121, we've already mentioned 125, where the, the believers are told to look to the hills again. Uh, is there something in, in there that, that's helpful to us in, in this discussion? I, I love the Psalms of Ascent. They are a, a short collection of 15 Psalms, a collection within a collection, and they are short Psalms. And one of the speculations is that uh, they were... They were, they were memorized and people would say them going on journeys. Um, and in particular, there seems to be a journey that happens across the whole of the Psalms. 
from Psalm 120, where uh, the psalmist says, Woe is me that I am an alien in Meshech among the tents of Kedar. I've had my dwelling among those who hate peace. So it's a very, very difficult place and ends up in the, the sanctuary in the, the holy place. Um, we talked about songs that keep coming into our heads. Mm. So uh, praise the Lord, all you servants of the Lord. It's the White song that some of us will be familiar with. Um, there's, this, there's this journey. But what's really interesting of the Psalms of ascent is that there is a, a, a step pattern that seems to appear, a roller coaster pattern that appears. So Psalm 120 starts quite bleak amongst the tents of the wicked, and then there's always a, there's a transition that happens, which happens in Psalm 121. I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? And then there's a resolution of joy. I was glad when they said to me, "Let us uh, go to the house of the Lord." But what's really interesting in the Psalms of ascent is it drops back down again. So Psalm 123, I have had my share of contempt. Uh, we uh, looked to our, our mistress and uh, the eyes of the servant, and then it picks up again. If the Lord had not been on our side, we would not have had victory. And then Psalm 125 again, those who trust in the Lord uh, will, uh, will not be moved. And it goes up and down all the time. And I think this is so connective of the Christian life mm-hmm. that, there are, that, that sometimes we pretend that when we get to the happy place, uh, we, Someone will fail if we drop back down to the more difficult place again. Mm. I think it's the nature of journey, these ups and downs. And uh, a lot of people have speculated what was meant by the Psalms of Ascent. Well, the word ascent in Hebrew also means step. And if you go to uh, Ezekiel 40, you will uh, discover that at least in the temple of Ezekiel's imagination, a prophetic imagination, uh, there are 15 steps in the temple that are uh, Eight, seven up to the first courtyard and then eight up to the next one. So seven plus eight is 15. And I think that what happens or the imagination of these is as people made their way up the steps of the temple, they said one of these Psalms. And the idea of the step, which goes up and then you dip down again slightly, the idea of journey uh, is embedded in these Psalms of, of something which is not linear, uh, but of something which moves up and down, up and down. And I think these uh, psalms catch us at different points in the Christian journey. Mm. Mm. The thing that struck me as I read these about the weakness, and I, I don't think we should forget this as we read them, is that we have a God who's become completely weak, like us. No, it's not that it's like we're trying to you know, reach out to a God to help us in our weakness. Uh, the power we find in weakness comes because of Jesus. Um, I'm trying to think of yeah, Isaiah 35. Strengthen the weak hands and make firm the feeble knees. And I was just so struck by, you know, Jesus had knees. You know, he had knees that got skinned when he was a wee boy. And uh, he, his knees knelt beside the bedside of a 12-year-old girl as she took her last breath. And it was his knees that pushed him up the hills of Galilee to preach to the crowds. It was his knees that pushed him on the cross uh, as he was struggling for breath. And it was his knees that pushed him off the slab in the tomb to be alive again. And and, and there was another another bit we read about, you know, when the storms and the come in our lives, but we've got a Jesus who was in a boat in a storm and said, peace be still, mm. you know, I'm, I'm in charge of all this. And, so and as then, we read it to see, remember those things. Yeah. And and those Psalms would have been in, in ground into who he was as well. As, as, Absolutely. As he just said rabbi. those words. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The other part that, that we grounded par excellence and our shapes the life of Jesus or, or rather is interpreted by the life of Jesus is um, the, the figure of the, of the servant 
Now, the, the, the idea of God's servant, God's weakened servant through whom God's power comes, isn't explicit in these sets of readings. But what we do have is a number of readings for what is sometimes called the second part of the book of Isaiah. And the second part of the book of Isaiah is one of the great transitions in the whole of the Bible. Um, the first 39 chapters of Isaiah are about the failure of the city, the failure of politics, the corruption of uh, a, a world where a bunch of different armies are vying for position but have forgotten their place under God. It is pretty bleak, the first um, 39 chapters of Isaiah, with a few high points in Isaiah 9 and 11 where the Messiah is looked forward to. And if anyone's ever tried to read through the whole book of Isaiah, you, you'll, you'll find Isaiah 10 through to the end of 30 pretty depressing because it's just the sins of this tire and then it's the sins of Syria and so on. And then Isaiah 40 happens. Mm -hmm. And it's as if the prophet can see a new reality. Comfort, 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 oh my people. And Isaiah, with a new imagination, reinvigorates the hope of an entire nation. And these verses, and we pick them up uh, here, Isaiah 40, um, those who wait on the Lord will rise up in wings like eagles. And then Isaiah 41 is here, plus the servant songs, which people will know. Mm. Um, the most famous one of um, who would have ever believed it when a servant came amongst us, Isaiah 53. Um, these these uh, passages from the second part of Isaiah uh, pick up God's people in a bleak, dysfunctional, politically broken place and utter prophetic hope. And, and they are utterly inspiring. Yes, yes, they are. And, uh, and I suppose when we're on the subject of Psalms as well, I think it would be interesting in a contemporary context to talk about Psalm 37, because we were, we were chatting about James Corden and the Late Show uh, before, we, before we started recording. Yeah, you guys, you guys love Mal, don't you? You love Malcolm Mal Corden. Corden. I mean, I love James Corden. I know that's an yeah. unpopular jo choice, but hey. <laughs> so he, he came on, James Corden had his dad on his show. Is that right? Yes, yes correct. I know this. Yes. I've watched the clip a number of times. Um, and his dad came on and his dad, and we've, those of us who have been around churches have all met James Corden's dad <laughs> before in, in churches, haven't we? He's a kid. I've Very, not met him. You've not met him? <laughs> There's nobody like James Corden's dad in your church. I'd never encountered James Corden's dad until I watched that clip. Oh, he's, <laughs> he's, he's, he's an archetype. He's an archetype. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I have to say, Jen, if you don't mind me saying, I don't, I don't think your dad was your dad? similar in character. That's what I was thinking. Yeah, to Mal Corden, that very gentle, <laughs> but utterly grounded individual. And uh, he has the jumper on. And at the end of the, the clip, he says to James Corden, uh, now, James, I'd just like to read a few verses. And, and it's obviously he's already been talking about President Trump and um, how uh, President Trump had held his Bible in, in front of that Episcopal church in Washington. And James Corden's dad ends the clip by saying, now, I'd like to read a few verses. And uh, James says to him, his son says, that, how many verses is it, Dad? You can see he's worried about the time segment here. And uh, Mal Corden says, oh, just a few. And you can see James Corden slightly tensing up here. And then he reads these verses from Psalm 37 in the context of all the politics that is happening in America. And he says, trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him and he will act. Um, be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in his way. 
and Mal doesn't spell it out, but he just walks us up to the very edge of the path and we know full well which man he's referring to at this point. Mm. I says, over the man who carries out evil devices. Mm. And uh, it's a beautiful clip of how gentle verses can be uttered in a very prophetic and profound and political way. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. also, I, the thing that struck me was the love between James and his dad, mm. which was so clearly seen after his dad had finished reading that part of the Bible, you could just see the connection between them. And, and for me, that, that, that generational family relationship with the Bible at the heart of it, but I, I don't know what, what James's opinion of the Bible is or his connection with it, but there was that moment at the end, which was the thing that struck me most by, when I watched it. Because it, yeah, because it is the, it's the epitome of what we're talking about, isn't it? It's the epitome of power being encased in weakness, I think. Mm. I, I think that that was what struck me about it was that here was a man who was, you know, he, he, he was almost, he was almost casting himself in the role of the fool or something. So he, so he had done yeah. a sort of quite funny segment about the way people carry their Bibles. And he was this, you know, oh yeah, it's this kind of bumbling old man, you know, what's he got to tell mm. us? Uh, and, you know, and he has this very, very gentle manner and, you know, and there's lots of discussion we could have about, I'm sure they knew exactly how many verses he was going to read out. Cause you, you don't do the late show without planning out exactly what you're going to do. But he, what he does is by use of that that weakness that that foolishness he he, he confounds the wise doesn't he and he confounds the, yeah. the powerful in the situation so there is power at work there there was something quite metaphorical i think about that whole that whole episode yeah power and weakness and yeah, the, whole, yeah. the whole power and weakness thing i think um so that it's interesting there was a really i was really struck by the title that was given to these sets of verses i wasn't expecting it power and weakness i was really mm-hmm. thinking it was going to be something like reassurance or confidence or courage or those sorts of things but it was power and weakness and that comes right from the very end passage in this in this section it's from second corinthians which in some ways is is um one of my favorite uh of paul's epistles it is possibly the, the most human it also has some of the most profound theology at the start chapter four and five but paul is a broken man or he's a he's he's in prison he has he has received punishment after punishment but and i often um, think he he says you know i've been shipwrecked and i've been whipped and i've been stoned and i've been left dead not to mention he says uh, all the worry I have for my churches. And it's interesting that those of us who live in churches and who worry about Christian communities, Paul is prepared to put that on a par with being stoned. Mm. So it's a pretty big worry. And then a bunch of people have appeared in Corinth who he calls the super apostles. There are these people whose brand of Christian leadership is super confident, super brave, super strong. And for, for someone like me who... Uh, sometimes wants to aspire to be like that uh, for um, for someone who often reads books about how to grow your church and they they always have something like um, oh it doesn't matter what size your church is but oh by the way mine has thousands going to it and you also but thanks very much Th- that super strong brand of leadership has appeared in Corinth and people are being seduced by it and and Paul says Paul says no this is not the way that God works and I know that because lives are not changed by the bombastic super confident leader lives are are changed by the person it's the it's the wee granny who comes to your church and and who loves you it's the sunday school teacher's faith it's a it's a mal cordon type of figure those are the ones that change you um and and paul says listen i've had an ecstatic experience 
that can outdo anyone. I was taken up to seventh heaven. I saw things that you can never see. He's so hesitant about it. He even writes in the third person at that point. He says, I asked God to take away from me the great weaknesses in my life. And he wouldn't, the thorn in my flesh. And why? Because my strength is made perfect in weakness, says Paul. Mm-hmm. And it's the weak one through whom the power of God flows. And he offers to us profoundly God-centered, Christ-like way of being in these verses. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. Just as we draw things to a close, I mean, it might be, it's an appropriate time, I suppose, to talk about blessing, the ironic blessing mm-hmm. that we see in, in number six. Uh, that's taken on a whole new resonance, I suppose, for us in our, in our current context. Um, what, what are we thinking about that? That's, it was also included. I mean, for me, it's one of the most beautiful moments in, in our church family when we sing this after we've baptised an infant, because that's the tradition I come from. And the baby is held up or carried around and we stand and sing these words and we look at the baby and we pray that they would know God's face shining on them, that um, they would know God's peace. It's deeply moving. It's even hard to put into words the significance of that. Mm. I was once standing with a friend um, who said, uh, you know, I, I don't know when, if, if I have, she was younger than me, if, if I have a baby in the future, I, do, I don't know if I, I would have this kind of community of people who would stand with me um, as I brought my child into the world. And I, I thought that was an incredible, you know, an insight and, and, and the deep significance of, of singing to this baby. And then it also, there's a sadness within me because I worry that all of us singing these words, so many of us might forget them as the baby grows and isn't a cute wee gurgling baby, but um, is a, 12 year old who's struggling to understand what it might mean to to follow God in our world and um, not many of us would have the time to sit down and be with them and we just pass it on to the youth leaders or the children's workers and so as I sing these words it's incredibly moving but it's also a real challenge I think to our church and as we sing these words we're going to keep on singing them throughout oh, these young know. people's lives. I, um, I agree, I totally recognize what you're saying Jen about the, the power that happens in a baptism when a baby is in in our tradition the baby's carried around the church and like you often think is this going to stay until uh, through the person's adulthood and adolescence and so on and one of the things that gives me a bit of hope is a story that was told by Hamish Montgomery who for many years led the Tom Allen Centre which is a counselling centre in Glasgow and Hamish Montgomery told the story of when he was training to be a counsellor, as always happens when you do that, you have to go and learn to be counselled, you have to go and be counselled yourself. Mm-hmm. So he was counselling, it came up in counselling that he became too, he became very, very emotional in, in two situations. The first was he became very emotional at, um, at baptisms. He, he would actually weep at baptisms and he didn't really understand why this was happening. And the other time he had that reaction is if he ever heard a brass band, if he ever heard a brass band, uh, suddenly he would, he would involuntarily burst into floods of tears. And Hamish Montgomery was being counselled and he went to his mother, who was alive at this point, and said, listen, I've noticed, and I've been reminded through counselling that I burst into tears when uh, ever there's a brass band and whenever there's a baptism. And his mother said, ah, 
I think I might know why that is. He said, the day that you were baptized, the Sunday that you were baptized, was also the Sunday of the Boys Brigade Parade, that Sunday. And after you were baptized, what the minister did was he took you and he took you to the front of the, the church building outside onto the pavement of the road and he held you in his arms as the Boys Brigade brass band walked past. And Hamish Montgomery realised that something in his mm -hmm. baby's memory had been wow. fused on that day with the link between the day that he was baptised and the day that the brass band walked past as he was held in the minister's arms. Gosh. And for me, I often hope that a baby who's mm. been carried around that church and hearing those yeah, words, yeah. something has been fused deep, deep in their memory mm. that reminds them of the blessing of God. These are beautiful verses that God, may God bless you, may God make his countenance, his face, God smile upon you. And the other time that I, I use these verses as a minister is, is very, very private. But if, often if I'm going to visit someone who's about to die, or, and you're never trained for this as a minister. So I remember the first time I had it, I thought, what am I going to do here? Mm -hmm. What am I going to say? So I turned into a bit of a Catholic and I said, I'm just going to do whatever I think the last rites might be. And, and by the way, I'm confessing to this. So if there's any ecclesiastical lawyers listening at this point, just let me away with this. Because I thought, I've never been trained as a Presbyterian to do this, but I know the Catholics have a wee thing that we do here. A wee thing called Holy Unction, last rites. Um, I, Catholic, a, a Catholic priest got quite upset when I called it the last rites, so I think it's Holy Unction. Anyway, the point being, that when someone is dying, I often say those words as I, I make the sign of the cross on their forehead. And the hope is that something, even if they're unconscious, seeps deep within them that unlocks mm. that memory of when they were baptized. I say, the Lord bless mm. you, the Lord keep you, the Lord make his face to shine upon you and give you peace. Mm. And as they entered this world, those words were said over them. I pray also that those words unlock something as in faith, I pray they get ready to move into the next world. Yeah, that's really helpful, I think, isn't it? I, mean, I was really struck, Jen, when you were speaking there, that I think there's a danger that when we've been around this for a long time, we, we see this as something we pray over other people. You know, you've both mm. talked of examples there. But as you were speaking, I was, and also, Neil, as you, you were talking there, I, I was really struck. So the UK blessing, and particularly the Celtic blessing, because mm. I, I know a number mm. of artists who have been part of that, and it's sung in Gaelic and it's beautiful. So Naomi Sturrett sings and it's beautiful. Yeah. Um, the, the, it, it has struck me in a, in a fresh emotional way. So I have had a, a quite a deep um, feeling response to that when, when it's been sung. And, and I think I connect, I do connect it back to my own upbringing, which is in, which is in a Presbyterian context as well. But, but also there is something about those words being sung over me that perhaps mm. as an adult, I've almost grown up out of. And so to re-experience that sense of, well, th this blessing is not just something that I can share with others, but, but that God would choose to, to shine his countenance on me is, is, is yeah. it, it, you know, it's, it, it's profoundly mm -hmm. moving. And, and it, that's what the words were given for, hmm. to be said over the people, that's all right. of us. That's right. Mm. Not, not just so. So it is beautiful that we that we use it in in church Scotland, particularly in, in that context. But but it almost can confine it. Yes. And actually, maybe case. when we're singing it, that that's why it's so meaningful because we are singing it to each other. Mm. You know, mm -hmm. the focus is in one person, mm -hmm. but it's it's not really. Mm -hmm. yeah.
I suspect most people will have seen it, but if they haven't, we'll put a note, a, a link to that again, also in the in the, the notes there to the, the episode. There are a whole range of them. There's yeah. uh, there's one, so the original one that was done, uh, which had millions of hits, mm. as you say, very, I have to confess, I wasn't as, I liked the, the UK one, but it was the Celtic yeah, one that really, yeah. really, really connected with me. Mm -hmm. um, I think it was just something very profound that I was moved into that other reality where, where we were bonded together, we're going through this shared experience, but God, God is here. So I, I think there's a there's a Northern Ireland, an Irish one. Uh, there's a Gaelic one. I think there's one in British Sign Language. Well. Yes, there is. Mm. Yeah. There's mm. a one in Makaton as well. If I imagine that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Alistair, producer's nodding his head. So nodding his head in a in an emphatic mm -hmm. way. So that that's good. <laughs> Well, we're going to bring things to a close. So I suppose the final question that I always ask is just about how you have been impacted by the verses that we've read, or perhaps as we've talked through today. Uh, so Jen, do you want to kick us off with something? I think there's two things. I'm so grateful for a God who has been completely weak, right, right to the point of death, where he could do nothing. Um, so that's one pretty major thing. Um, and just when Neil was talking earlier about God calls us as weak people and the pressure to be something big and powerful and significant, which I think has been amplified by being in lockdown in a church context, you know, because we're all online and, you know, who can do a better <laughs> online whatever experience of a better knowledge talk or that plays into that, you know, I need to be good, I need to be great. But here, you know, we end these, the words, the very last verse that we read in the Bible 2020 app in this theme is, for when I am weak, then I am strong. Mm. Uh, that's it, really. You need to remember that. That's great. Mm. It's a good rebuke for me, Jen. I, I check my YouTube hits far too often. <laughs> um, one of the things I've deliberately never tried to find out is how many people listen to this podcast, and I don't want to know because uh, it, they would then become a then become a target. Um, one of the things that we do when we prepare for this um, podcast is that one of us is usually Fiona, I think, uh, sends out a Bible gateway link that has all of the verses in one link. So you just click on it once, and they all come up. And then you can print it out. And I must say, I am going to hang on to my, my sheet <laughs> of papers for this one because it's, it's just brilliant to read through. Mm -hmm. um, and maybe we, amongst our myriad of links, we could put this one up as well, um, where uh, just the process of reading those verses, these verses, is, is very, very profound one after the other. Really mm -hmm. great verses to read. Uh, I think uh, Adrian just went for the now that's what I call scripture part of the case <laughs> of the Bible um, when he compiled these. So I hope that's not too facetious. But uh, yeah, these are these are just brilliant verses to read and be reminded of. Yeah, no, that's great. I we had no idea also no we had no idea what the context was we were going to be reading them in either. Yeah. This makes it more profound. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um for me it's it's Psalms again. I, I've just found I've I've really come back to Psalms during lockdown and during COVID. Um and and the conversation today just about Psalms of Ascent and it makes me want to delve a bit more into particular Psalms and particular sections of Psalms and, and to really kind of sit with those. Um I think I can dash through things very quickly. Uh, but having had more time, I think, in the last few weeks to, to delve into some of these psalms a bit more and, and to begin to understand things like repetition and to begin to understand why why it is that that words are placed the way they're 
placed and phrases are placed the way they're phrased. That has been very helpful for me. So thank you very much for listening to the Outspoken Bible. Next time we're going to be talking about hope in suffering. Uh, and again, there's lots to, to really kind of mull over as we, we come to prepare for that. So thank you again to Neil. Thanks, Fiona. Thank you to Jen. Thank you, Fiona. And thank you very much to Alistair Wallace, who has kept us all in order and kept us to time again. Uh, so tune in next time, uh, Outspoken Bible, and we'll be talking about hope in suffering. <laughs>